What I would tell people about immigration is, I mean, there are people come to America for one reason and one reason only, freedom. Because this country is the only beacon of freedom and hope for any human being out there. I have traveled the world. I've been to 18 different countries. And I'm talking about the Western countries and no country comes closer to what we have here in, in the U.S. Every human being out there that is wishing to come to this country, they want to come here and change their life. Hey, y'all, you're back. It's uh, Well Worth a Podcast. My name is Brendan Bolin. I'm Daniel Thornton. And as always, you can find us at, at We'll work for podcasts. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Uh, send us an email. We'll work for podcasts at gmail.com. Yeah. I know. All right. So, so what are you, what are your top three then? So I have adventure, simplicity, and care. Oh, interesting. Cool. Mine were compassion, collaboration, and playfulness. All right. Well, those are, those are all good things. Do you want to talk about our values at all? Or because we kind of did that exercise. We just did the exercise of the values exercise. Is there like something that is some sort of conclusion we're supposed to come to or? You know, is it just supposed to recognize who you are? Well, I mean, I guess, yeah, I think what you're saying is that it's an open-ended question. So when you see yours, what is what resonates with you? Adventure, simplicity, caring. Yeah. Well, for me, it's just like I want to live a simple life where I go on adventures and care about the life that I have and care about the people that are around me. It's interesting because I saw love and I was like, I put it on my list initially, but I was just, I felt like obligated to put it on. And then I, and I was like, what is the difference between love and caring about something? And I feel, I feel as though you can care. Also caring can encompass a lot more stuff. Yeah. That's kind of why I went with compassion. I feel like compassion has, you know, towards oneself, towards others. There's this whole like mentality around how you interact with people. Yeah. Yeah. Why simplicity though? That seems surprising to me. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I, I'm a simple person. I feel like I don't need a lot of stuff. And I, you know, it's funny. I was at my uncle's house and he was talking about all the stuff. He he moved houses to his, like, basically his retirement home in the Cape. He moved his, his house that he's been living in for 30 years. And he was just talking about all the crap that he's accrued over these years. And I was just... I just thought about it and I just said, yeah, man, like, that's what happens when you just have space where you don't know where to put stuff and you just start, you know, accumulating stuff that you don't need and you've had it for years and years and it just sounds so ridiculous. So I just like to live a simple life, not to say devoid of things, but just, you know, basic stuff. Yeah. Don't get that bigger house. Yeah. Yeah, man. You just fill up that stuff. Yeah. But uh, yeah, well, that was a good exercise. I enjoyed that. Uh, I enjoyed uh, Liz's interview last week. And uh, I think uh, on with the show. And this week we wanted to, in response to what's going on around the globe, and uh, really highlight the Afghanistan uh, event that is happening in all our lives. If you feel like things are overwhelming and you want to donate or give to somebody, here are some places that you should give to the IRC, which is the International Rescue Committee, Refugee Council USA, 
Catholic Charities, uh, Hiasis, which is H-I-A-S. All of these organizations are supporting the resettlement of refugees from Afghanistan and are helping those in need, helping get people out of that situation in, in Afghanistan. So we'll put links to these organizations in our newsletter, on our website, and yeah, give and support what you can. On that note, uh, luckily enough, we got an amazing person, Gabriel Ajak, to come on the show, and uh, we hope you enjoy his interview, and uh, on with the show. We're joined here this week by Gabriel Ajak, and he's uh, an associate chief of staff for the Department of Homeland Security. He's been a program analyst, a mutual fund accountant. He holds a master's degree of business administration from the University of St. Mary's, a certificate from leadership from Harvard Kennedy School of Public Policy. Um, but that's actually not necessarily what we're going to talk about today. Um, we really just want to kind of have Gabriel on here to tell a little bit about his story. And, and part of that comes from a, a post that he posted on LinkedIn that I happened to see a few weeks back. And... Um, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, Gabriel. Like, what, what brings you here today? Thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to share my story. I made a post, I think it was July 26th on LinkedIn in the year 2021 to, to share my story, uh, my 20 years uh, life experience in America. I was born and raised in South Sudan and lived with my family and um, <clears throat> in a community or a village without uh, electricity or a modern infrastructure. So we kind of have a pretty good childhood until about 1987 when the civil war in Sudan reached my village and everything turned upside down. From there, I became a refugee. Uh, I lost my mother when I was 10 years old and um, things really turned out bad. Became part of the group called the Lost Boys of Sudan, which 4,000 of them made um you know, or seek refugee asylum in the United States in early 2000. So I wrote that post to to share my story, to inspire anyone uh, that might be going through um, the tough time and not living from their native country or have other life challenges going on in their lives. And I look forward to talk to you more about that as we continue. I think sometimes people get a little confused about what the term refugee maybe even means. And so when you talk about being a lost boy for Sudan, can you just take us a little bit about what that experience was like from leaving your village and, and then going to the, the refugee camp? Of course. Um, that was a pretty tough experience because I left my native country at a very young age and living as a refugee, it totally means you have no home. You do not have a place to call home. You are either living on the UN supplies or you are surviving in other way um, possible, but you do not have a place to call home. So having the opportunity 
to migrate or resettle in the United States. It was the best thing that ever happened. There were a lot of kids that have lost their life uh, through hunger, through dehydration, through crossfires, um, or being attacked by the wild animals. As we were wandering between the war zones and the internal displaced camps, um, life was pretty challenging uh, with a very minimum guidance because uh, people were scattered all over the country um, as a result of uh, their villages or their homeland being invaded uh, by the pursued enemy. Yeah. So what is that process to go from the camp to the United States? And, and how did you navigate that? Like, how did you even know to navigate that? It was, it was tough. Um, but uh, one thing uh, um, has always remained constant, my, my faith. I, I truly believe in God. Um, and um, it, when you are in uncertain situation where you do not know how to escape from the condition that you're living in, the only, the only salvation at that time was my faith. I always believe there is a better day ahead. I know I cannot change my past. I know I cannot accurately predict my, my future. So the best I could do is deal with what is in um, in, in present of me, in, in, in front of me now. And what is the best way to scope with that? And the only thing that I have found very instrumental was my faith, um, believing that one of these days, I don't know how I'm going to be able to make it. Uh, as long as I could see another day and every day, then I know um, great things are ahead of me. Yeah. So you end up getting kind of the lottery and, and being able to immigrate. Uh, Where did you end up? How, you know, what was your experience in America once you landed? My first, man, it was a pretty exciting, it was a mixed emotions because at first I didn't want it to leave. Uh, East Africa or South Sudan altogether, uh, because my family was uh, separated into two groups. Me and my older brother, we were living at the refugee camp, and the rest of my siblings uh, and my father were living uh, in an internal displaced camp within South Sudan. So having the opportunity to come to the U.S., it was exciting in the beginning, but when the reality kicked in, I, I start getting mixed emotions. So I, at some point I told my brother, I'm not gonna do this. I, I cannot um, leave behind my siblings because I mean, who do I know where I'm going? Um, yes, the United States is a great place to, to go and maybe um, find a prosper for our future. But then what about my sibling that are, we are living behind? Um, so I almost ruined my opportunity, but my, my brother talked me in so first arrival in the U.S., uh, I was um, given the opportunity to settle in Houston. And uh, at first, life was pretty challenging because I didn't have a solid academic foundation. In fact, I, didn't, I could barely read and write in complete sentences. So, and in order to make anything in life, uh, and specifically in the culture that we have here in the U.S., you have to know the language. And for that reason, I struggle a little bit. What specific community did you end up in? Uh, here in Houston. Yeah. So, I mean, just like in general, do you have any good stories of kind of what those first days were like? How did you feel about Houston in terms of either the, the weather, the climate, the the people? Like what kind of was the, the first few years like for you in that sense? The good thing about uh, migrating to Texas was people were pretty humble. 
people were pretty receptive. I felt very welcomed. We were giving some um, some tourings and, and some uh, cultural orientations about the states, um, about job opportunities, about educations. But uh, the whole culture altogether was uh, pretty shocking. Most of us that live in the refugee camp, we have never lived in the cities before. So coming to a city like Houston was, uh, was a nightmare. Traffic, uh, the infrastructure that we have here, big highways, you know, uh, sporting events, uh, you can name it all. But I was very optimistic. So I was pretty open-minded to learn. Uh, so it took me uh, a little while to pick up with the culture, and that was because of the language. But I was pretty optimistic about the whole thing. I like to try new ideas. But more importantly, the Houston community was pretty receptive. That we had a lot of good Samaritans from the church that have shown us the way, um, how to navigate um, a certain situation here. But the Lost Boy group were, were broken into two. There were the underage people that were at the age of 17 and uh, anyone that was above the age of 18 were pretty much uh, responsible for uh, for themselves, and I was one of those guys. Uh, I came um, before my age of before my nineteen uh, year birthday, so I was considered an um, an adult, and that I have to provide for myself after ninety days of being in the U.S. So three weeks later, I got my first job in Houston. Could you talk about that? You've mentioned you mentioned the church and faith as being these you know incredible resources for you, but like what? What else were you using as kind of some of these tools and anchors? You know, how, how did even that application process go or the interview? Like, that must have been quite a, a strange experience. We had some uh, resentment agencies or the NGOs that the government assigned to help the refugee migrate here and to kind of uh, position them into um, or navigate them through the culture. So there were some initial resources available there. But most importantly, I was pretty optimistic about learning. So books were my uh, life savior. I put myself so hard to learn how to read and write because I learned hard in my first interview, all the questions they were asking, they didn't make any sense to me. I perhaps I did not understand them. So, and we were, um, we were given a job in a factory that makes the window blinds. And it was, um, it was a 12 hour job in the uh, Houston summer. So it was pretty humid. It was pretty, the job was hard at that time, obviously for a younger me. So I realized early on that the life in America was going to be pretty challenging. So the best way for me to, besides my faith, that I need to educate myself. Um, I, I need to learn how to read. I need to learn how to write. I need to master communication uh, because, um, I mean, from that interview, the first interview, um, they were asking questions that I did not understand what they are, but they needed people to work in that factory. So failing was not an option for them. They just need people to uh, come in and do the work. But I realized, you know, um, if, if, if the process is this complicated, uh, you know, at the very entry level, I mean, what else could be, you know, when you get to the actual real world? And so how long were you at that position before you started to 
to move on? Um, I started on May. I came in April, and then my first job was on May 17, uh, 2001. I stay on for about uh, four months, and I couldn't do it anymore. At uh, one point, um, it was my second break in the middle of the night. Uh, we were working night shift, 12 hours, right? So it was pretty hard. It was pretty humid. It was pretty, uh, the heat was up in the roof. Um, so I asked my supervisor to take a 15-minute break, and then I was sitting on the bank outside getting some air, and I thought to myself, if this is the way life is going to be and for how long? So from that point on that week, I came back, you know, during my day off and I just hand over my, uh, you know, my uniforms and my uh, safety equipment and I'm, I was gone. I was done. I went back to the uh, resentment agency to tell them that I, I quit my job. I need a part time and I need to go to school. And so what was next for you? How, like if, if you were going to go back to school, how were you going to pick what to study? Well, um, it was not easy because first I didn't finish high school when I, uh, when I moved from the refugee camp to, uh, to Houston. So it was the ideal goal for me to finish high school. Um, but I couldn't get in because I, would, I was already at the age of 18. So I have to find a way to, um, you know, to finish high school before I start college. The other option was to complete GED, which I couldn't understand. How can you study a four-year institution being high school in six months? That math didn't make any sense to me um, at that time. So, and the other option was to go through community college and maybe spend a year or two learning English as a second language. That option, too, was good, but that's not what I preferred. About a year later, I moved to Missouri and uh, because a good, good friend of mine that I knew when we were at the refugee camp came at the same age as, my, as me, but they were going to, they had a chance to go to high school. So I asked for their advice, and we got some legal personnel involved to ensure we were doing the right things, um, you know, to attend high school uh, before I turned 20 or 21. It worked out pretty good. So I ended up finishing high school and uh, had the opportunity to get scholarship to college. And that's that's how it all transpired. Nice. And so with that scholarship, is that when you started studying economics? Yes. Yeah. How did you how did you pick that? Is it, is it have numbers just always come naturally to you or is it? Correct. I am. Um, I like numbers because numbers make sense to me. I, I like something that I could um, digitalize and then break down into uh, soft knowledge. And uh, math has always been appealing to me. So um, I did not make my decision to study economic until my junior year in college um, <clears throat> because I was debating whether I should do law or should I do uh, econo economics. And economic became a peril to me that it was the best choice uh, although I graduated during the Great Re uh, Recessions when the financial market was uh, bad, I still stick to study economic because it, it gives me purpose. It, uh, I could clearly define life uh, with economic theories versus if I had to go to law school for another six years. I didn't see that as the feasible way to, to make life um, in America. And I want to get out of college and go to work right away. 
So when is it that you kind of knew that you wanted to become a, a civil servant and work for the State Department? Oh, my job, I mean, joining um, DHS or Homeland Security, it actually happened coincidentally. It was not something that I ever had uh, an idea because, you know, as I mentioned, I went to study economic, uh, graduate, you know, move to New York and start pursuing a, a career with J.P. Morgan, Capital One, Ernest Young, Deloitte, all these big financial firms. That was my um, my end game. Okay. So toward my senior year, I think it was around uh, March. There was an opportunity from my student employment office that the federal government in a local office was offering their summer internship programs. And because I was looking for a job, aggressively looking for jobs uh, at that time, uh, my student employment counselor um, asked me if I could consider uh, taking this summer internship job in while I'm looking for a full-time job when I graduate. So I look at the requirements, um, obviously, as that's all Homeland Security. I didn't know much about the government from aside from what I studied in college and high school. And because I never show interest in public service, I said, all right, I'm going to give it a try. So I rushed in my resume and applied. And what was the role? There were different responsibilities, uh, program analyst, person to work with the administrator, you know, in coordinating their uh, meetings and uh, writing projects and stuff like that. And then there were other roles in different program areas. So I chose the program analyst's um, positions uh, when they interviewed me. And I was told there were about uh, 150 applications, but they're only looking for eight. So <laughs> I don't know how I made it. After I got in, I, I, I found my purpose and my passion, I found FEMA and Homeland Security mission statement to be more profounding to me in helping people. The core values were pretty outstanding to me as well, respect, compassion, and integrity. And those are my kind of uh, core value that I you know, personally um, believe in. So I said, you know what, I'm going to give it a try. Opportunities, they don't come often. So 90 days later, they asked me if I wanted to stay on, and I say yes. So I got it. They gave me a temporary positions, and after I performed at the high level, they said, "Okay, um, there are other opportunities you could, you know, get into." And there it is. 11 years later, and there I am. I'm still there. I also wanted to continue with the public service because um, after all the years I have been in the refugee camp. And only the United States could give me the opportunity to come here. I found that to be a responsibility for me to give back to America and serve the American people. Because what had happened to me in this country, um, it has been life-changing for me and my family. And the best I could do is to, you know, serve America when I can. Then I'm doing it and I will continue to do that. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. You had mentioned at the beginning kind of wanting to speak to those that are going through similar experiences. What are some of the big takeaways that you've thought about and reflected on after you have gotten to this point in your life? Uh, what I usually tell young people, and, I, and I'm saying young people because um, I was young when all these things happened to me, when all the bad things happened to me. I, uh, it, it was so difficult for me to process or to fathom 
why this thing is happening to me, but they build me for the better. So what I tell young people are three things, attitude, education, and work ethics or mindsets. Uh, your attitudes is your latitude. The farther you go in life, it has to do with the way you think about yourself, the way you carry yourself, the way you treat people around you, and the way you perceive the life that you are going through. You should always remember you are not the only person that is going through the situation you're going through now. Uh, there might be other million people that are, are struggling the same way you are. So have a humble attitude, you know, stay humble, be faithful, be grateful for what you have, because um, it could be worse. Be optimistic to learn and have courage and hope that one of these days your life will change. Education. You need to educate yourself. You need to learn and continue to learn because the only way out is, is to know what is that is affecting you, you know, from the academic perspective. I always give example about Frederick Douglass. I'm pretty sure you know about him. Yeah. He, he learned how to read and write by encoding his master's wife's words from her lips. I mean, how profounding, how encouraging that could be. If a child could learn and free himself from slavery by learning in the hard way, anybody in this era, in the 21st century, could do the same thing. So I, I always um, encourage people to continue um, learning and master uh, the educations. The last thing is, is work ethics. You have to be competitive in everything you do. You need to be the master of your craft. You need to stay engaged and obviously got to keep improving Uh, because once you do that, you create an opportunity for yourself and and that also attract people um, that want to help help you or people that have the opportunities that they need, people with a great education to help them. So those are my... um, Three advice for anyone and specifically young people that might be going through challenges right now. Applying that to yourself, where do you see yourself moving forward? Like what's the next, you know, step in your in your process in your life? I'm going to remain working in the public service. As I mentioned, um, I think I still have the obligation to serve America, but I'm looking into a specific uh, focus now. Perhaps how the question is how can I use my past experience to help our lawmakers in the in policies such as immigration, foreign relations, or international relations altogether? Because I I have lived the life and I have gone through the experience, so I think I could be a great ambassador in those roles. Um, and that's where I see myself going forward. But I'm going to go into continue working in the uh, national security sector because that's where I really find my purpose. Yeah, that's great. Um, thank you for that. And I guess I'm just kind of curious. Um, I feel like you have done a, a fantastic job navigating systems that are that are really difficult that that other people, you know, get stuck in. And, and both both when we're thinking about you know the the asylum aspects, when we're thinking about even even getting your GED and then like mastering higher education and, and, and things like that. So what do you attribute to that ability to kind of work through these opportunities and struggles? I attribute that to the people that have helped me early on. I, I mentioned uh, from the beginning my faith. Uh, my family has been very supportive, my brother, my siblings. 
and more importantly, my academic advisors. Um, when I started high school, I have uh, a pretty good Samaritan. Uh, she happened to be my uh, uh, academic advisor. Um, she put me in the right path on what I needed at that time as someone that do, didn't have any education foundations, you know, giving me the resources uh, on what I needed to, um, to study, um, to build myself from the ground up. Uh, I also want to um, attribute books. Books are the foundation of wisdom. And the more uh, you open your mind to learn and read books, uh, and I'm talking about nonfiction books here, um, you would have a better chance of uh, navigating and succeeding in everything that uh, you put your mind into. Um, I also utilize uh, movies, documentaries specifically, you know, um, that talk about real life. Uh, movies like, um, you know, Remember the Titan, The uh, Hidden Figures, um, you know, Captain America, uh, The Glory Roads. These are key movies that are based on true story. Uh, freedom writers, based on true story uh, about children or um, sport athletes that are going through tribulant in their lives. Um, so books, movies, um, you know, and people have been my uh, great resources in navigating the system here in America. I'm, I'll tell you. I have a lot to learn. I still have a lot, a lot of, a lot of learning to do. And every day for me is an improvement. Every day is um, a new day. And every new day there is a new opportunity and there's a new thing to learn. And that had been my mindset um, from, um, since I arrived here. Maybe just to, to follow that up then, what, what do you think has been like the most challenging aspect for you in terms of your your personal journey with with work and, and being a professional here? Because I work in public service, we have to stick to the policies and the regulations. Sometimes navigating outside of that or thinking outside of the box, it's, 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 it's pretty limited. But overall, the most challenging thing I have was learning the system. Because what you learn in school is not always the same as what you would learn in the real world. Navigating the system in the real world from what I learned in school was pretty challenging. But I had, again, the, the great resources, the people that were willing to help me, people that have seen potential, people that have seen me having the ambition to be, become a better human being on myself. They always pick up um, and give me the resources, you know, to learn and uh to improve. How do you how do you ask people that? Like how how do you approach somebody and say like, hey, I need your help with this? I think it takes a lot of courage, honestly. Um, you have to beat up yourself. You have to ask. If I don't ask, then I may not know. But if I do and get rejected, then what would that do to me? So you have to pick your battle. And for me, I always um, wanted to know something. And I'm not afraid to be turned down. I have been turned down a lot of time, but I take every turn down as a learning curve, as a learning opportunity, and then find a way to, you know, either structure my approach or if I figure out that was not the right thing to do in the first place, then I'll find another way to, you know, to uh, approach it in the future. So that has been my mentality. I know the only way to know things is to ask. And if you don't, 
I mean, people may be able to offer you, but a lot of time, um, most managers, they need to know, uh, they, they help people or employees that wanted to uh, do well for themselves and they're willing to learn. Take on the challenging projects and, you know, learn your mistakes. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask you one more question? Sure, sure, sure. Not at all. How do you explain to people the value of immigration in our country? Especially right now, I'm thinking about how polarizing some of that can be. And I'm just curious, like, if someone comes to you and say, like, I really want to explain why I think this is important, like, what is your answer? What I would tell people about immigration is, I mean, the people come to America for one reason and one reason only, freedom. Because this country is the only beacon of freedom and hope for any human being out there. Uh, I have traveled the world. I've been to 18 different countries. And I'm talking about the Western countries and no country comes closer to what we have here in, in the U.S. So every human being out there that is wishing to come to this country, they want to come here and change their life. Now, there are some other actors wanted to come to America for other reasons. And we have seen that. But most people, especially people that have lost their native country, through war, through other ethnic tensions, or any other natural disasters, those people, they're looking for a place to call home. And the only place that they see themselves becoming better human being is the United States of America. Now, from the political perspective, there are different interpretations of what immigration is. But I'll tell you, Every human being out there, whether they are coming on the fence or coming under the fence or came, um, came to America on the plane like myself, the goal is pretty simple. They want to be free. They wanted to do better for themselves and their families. And to, to explain that to someone that is pursuing a political path, it could be very challenging. But as, as migrant, we understand that the reason you wanted to be here is to do well and do better for yourself. Our system also doesn't help um, um, migrants, you know, uh, transition to America. Uh, and this is from my experience. If I was not ambitious enough, things could have go in a different way for me. To me, I think there got to be a training, some sort of training before even the migrant comes to the U.S. about what is what exactly is America. But if you do that, then politics interferes and uh, other things that are uh, that, that we are seeing today. But people come here for one reason, and that's to better themselves. And it, it, that is pretty hard for a lot of people to. And, and that has been the foundation of this country. Uh, almost everyone that migrated here came there, came here for that reason, and still the uh, you know um, uh, the principle for most people. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. And on that note, I think uh, I'll hit stop, but uh, appreciate it. Thank you. I, uh, I'm i honored and I truly appreciate that. Rarely do you get an opportunity to, to necessarily speak to somebody in the way that Gabriel was just kind of vulnerable and open about his his life and, and the way that he experienced it. And certainly like it's just radically different than my own. And so I really appreciated not only just the conversation about, you know, these these moments in his life, but how he kind of relied on himself and his own, you know, belief of self as a way to, to maintain that resilience. And certainly like, you know, like we keep hearing, right? Reaching out to others when you're in times of need 
is a way to not only kind of, in, in this case, like survival, certainly, but also I think it, it was a way to build that network, to build that kind of sense of community identity that he needed once he got here, but also then has been continuing to allow him to to grow as a person and a professional. So, you know, his his thoughts now of being able to share this story, not just to kind of build that idea of hope within all of us, but also say, I, I really want to reach out and start helping youth that are going through the same thing. I think that's really powerful. So we thank him for his time. I think this is just a message to all those out there to have some hope and the refugee community know that there is there is a possibility. Absolutely. We really hope that you enjoyed that interview with Gabriel. He's an amazing person. Please reach out to him on, on LinkedIn and uh, you can reach out to us with your thoughts, with your likes and subscribes. Um, please like and subscribe there and also reach out to us on Will Work for Podcast. That's Will Work, the number four podcast at gmail.com. We're now on Anchor as well. Give us your feedback. Let us know what you're thinking. And until the next time, we'll be working for you. So uh, keep on keeping on. Keep on.